Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. The 118th Congress will convene tomorrow. This will be a divided Congress with Republicans in control of the House and Democrats control of the Senate. What will happen next to discuss the incoming Congress? We spoke with Bill Hoagland, senior vice president from the Bipartisan Policy Center. Hoagland also served as the staff director of the Senate Budget Committee and as advisor to the Senate Majority Leader during his time working on the Hill from 1975 to 2007. Bill Hoagland, thank you so much for joining us. Listen. Bill, the $1.7 trillion omnibus package that's just made its way through Congress has a historic amount of money built in, uh, 4,000 pages, mind you, raising concerns as the country wages war on inflation. Um, could Senate Republicans have kicked this forward for the next Congress to tend to, where there would have been more time to assess what's actually in the bill? We certainly could have kicked it forward to the next year and made it to less than the full year appropriations. But of course, Republicans as well in the Senate and uh, wanted to uh, basically clear the deck for the next Congress. And I believe that uh, we'll have plenty of opportunities in the next Congress to deal with this because we'll have to deal with raising our statutory debt limit at some point. And that will require focusing very much on spending. So I think this was uh, a clear the decks and uh, let's move on to the 118th Congress. Now, I want to ask you, uh, Senator Rand Paul put together what he calls his annual Festivus report, where he highlights some outrageous appropriations that slip through, such as $2.3 million for the NIH to inject beagle puppies with cocaine, $3 million annual research project to watch hamsters on steroids fight. Now, maybe there is some context missing, but pork barrel spending uh, has been a longstanding issue. What do you think can be done to reduce government waste? Well, I think first uh, the new Congress and particularly the House of Representatives should establish a special committee to oversee and uh, review uh, all of the uh, spending activities that's taken place over the last two years, particularly I'm focusing on not just the appropriation process, but uh, going all the way back to our American Recovery Plan, COVID spending, uh, not to suggest that these weren't necessary uh, activities of the federal government, but simply to suggest that we ought to look at this very carefully in terms of what was authorized, how it was spent, did we get the effect that we were looking for? And that's something that I think we're going to look at. I also think that in the terms of Rand Paul, I think he clearly has uh, focused on some of the issues that are in there, but let's uh, keep it in context in terms of the overall spending. This area of what we call discretionary spending, annually subject to appropriation, is one-third of the budget. That includes defense spending. The real drivers to our federal spending are in some of the more difficult programs that we refer to as mandatory programs, entitlement programs, such as, dare I be so bold as to suggest, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. That's where the real drivers to spending long-term in the federal government. And shouldn't focus on the discretionary? Sure. But let's also keep uh, keep our focus on the big big spending items that will really drive spending into the future. Bill, you've also spent a lot of time working on various parts of the budget during your time working on the Hill uh, at the Senate. Um, with a divided Congress for at least the next two years, where do you see common ground being able to be reached to get bills passed in the coming months? It's going to be difficult. There's no question about it. Um, I look to the uh, analogy of going back to the 112th Congress, I believe it was, when we had uh, a similar situation of a divided Congress, a House Republicans, a Senate Democrats, and of course, a President uh, at that particular time, Obama, 
and uh, as a result, uh, we had a, a divided Congress, and uh, we ended up, and uh, Speaker Boehner was the uh, speaker, and we ended up having a negotiated settlement uh, that uh, resulted in putting caps on discretionary spending over the next 10 years. I'm not sure that that was all that successful, but I see a similar situation here as it was in the 112th Congress. We had to raise the statutory debt limit. We're going to have to do that again. And that will require, as I said earlier, that's going to require some negotiations because we cannot in any way, shape or form have the federal government default, something that's never happened and would be a disaster in terms of our financial status in the world. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you, do you think that the power of the purse that the uh, House Republicans will hold will actually get Democrats to budge on issues that they otherwise might not? I hope so. Um, I believe that uh, the power of the purse is uh, something that is uh, Article One of the Constitution is very basic, and I think this is going to force negotiations. Uh, after all, that's uh, the, when we have a situation as we're going to have in the 118th Congress, it's necessary from my perspective to talk about that terrible word called compromise. But there's going to have to be compromise here going into the 118th Congress. Otherwise, we're going to have a very difficult two years leading up, I believe, to the presidential election in 24. And uh, I, I don't think we can, um, we should delay or we should uh, uh, not to focus on these issues in the, in the next Congress as quickly as possible. Bill Hoagland, really appreciate your perspective. Thank you, good to be with you. Elon Musk has exposed how Twitter previously censored information, specifically when it comes to COVID-19 vaccine safety since he took over the platform. Many doctors who have questioned the safety and efficacy of the vaccine have now been reinstated on the platform. But is the medical community at large now more acceptive of their views compared to before? To discuss vaccine safety and COVID censorship, we spoke to Dr. Omar Hamada. Hamada, a medical doctor and a former lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army, joined us to discuss. Here's part of that interview. Dr. Omar Hamada, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Dr. Hamada, uh, what is your sense in the medical community right now uh, that the veil is, you know, starting to be lifted from all of the censorship over the vaccines and handling of the virus? Are they acknowledging any sort of missteps? Not at all. The medical uh, community at large is still very defensive about this whole COVID issue and still very supportive of the CDC and NIH's positions and Fauci's positions. But there are many of us who have been pushing back the entire time and with, with healthy skepticism. Uh, that I think is scientifically um, based on scientific foundations. So I think the the wave, the, you know, the direction is slowly changing, but I don't think it will entirely come around. Speaking of healthy skepticism, um, it is interesting to see mainstream media is starting to ask some questions, uh, one of which I'd like to play for you, where uh, Bill Gates uh, was recently asked about the safety of the Moderna vaccine, specifically by CBS's Nora O'Donnell. Uh, have a listen. I want to get your reaction on the other side. Well, I want to ask you, you mentioned side effects. Um, the side effects for the Moderna vaccine sound concerning. We looked. After the second dose, at least 80% of participants experienced a systemic side effect, ranging from severe chills to fevers. So are these vaccines safe? Well, the, uh, the FDA not being pressured will look hard at that. The FDA is the gold standard of regulators uh, and their current guidance on this, if they stick with that, is is very, very appropriate. Uh, 
Your thoughts? Well, I think you can tell by reading his body language that he's hesitating and he's bit, a bit defensive because he knows the truth. And the truth is that the vaccine hasn't been adequately tested and that there are some significant issues with side effects. In fact, just this morning, Dr. Robert Malone tweeted that there are 20 deaths per million doses of vaccine, 60 deaths per million boosted people, which is three doses. The official death rate of COVID over, you know, at large in the general population is about 100 per million primary infections. So um, if, if we look at, you know, the, the lower or the younger age groups who don't really need the vaccine because they're really not at risk of, of death with COVID, um, then the risk of the vaccine is a lot higher than the actual disease. And I think they know this. They're seeing all over the world people dying with unexplained causes after being vaccinated. Healthy athletes in their 30s, uh, even children as young as newborns. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a real problem. I think they continue to deny it, but I think that there's enough information there and data there uh, that people have to start taking notice. So what do you think the actual extent is of the damage that was caused by the censorship? And do you think that uh, lives were lost as a result? Certainly, you know, it's hard to quantitate it. Um, and the problem is that COVID is a weaponized and a dangerous virus, and it is gonna cause death. Um, the vaccine was rushed to market. Uh, whether or not it was developed to limit population growth and things like that, I, I'm not gonna go that far. Um, but I do, I will go as far as saying that I think it was inadequately tested and pushed to market quicker than it should have been. And it has caused significant uh, disability and death that could have been avoided. Um, and I think that goes over and above what COVID would have caused. Will there be any repercussions? And at the same time, how to make sure this won't happen again or continue to happen on other uh, platforms that still have an ideological agenda? Yeah, I don't know if there will really be any significant pushback or repercussions as far as legal or economic damages being found against these pharmaceutical companies or the government. I think they're pretty much protected. Uh, will this happen again? Um, most certainly, I think, unless we as a people worldwide really push back. And I think people have started to push back all over the world. We see, um, we see demonstrations in Western Europe. We see demonstrations in China. Uh, we see demonstrations here in the United States, probably not to the same extent. But I think that people have have awakened to the fact that the governments necessarily don't have their best interest at heart. Dr. Omar Hamada, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, my pleasure. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.